All right, if you got a Bible, meet me in 1 Peter chapter 3. While you're getting there, a couple things that I need you to know. First of all, I do not believe you are here by accident. I believe that God brought you here because he wants to speak to you, perhaps uh, challenge you maybe in some ways, but overall, I believe God wants to encourage you, uh, maybe convict you, but uh, I don't believe that uh, the power of the Word of God is an accident, and I believe that he's going to be the one speaking, and I pray that you don't hear my words, but hear his words, because the other thing I want you to know is we will probably not for sure this year, get in a more controversial text than the one that we're about to read. Uh, It stands in stark contrast to everything that you've ever learned in culture, uh, everything that culture believes in and tries to operate under this uh, flies in the face of all of that. And so what I need you to hear me say is I'm fine with you getting angry. I'm fine with you disagreeing with me on some points. What I'm asking is that you don't turn me off until we've unpacked the whole thing. So, so don't hear certain words and think to yourself, oh no, he didn't. That's not a, a just relax, give me my 35 minutes. If in fact, when I'm done, you're still angry and you still disagree with me, please email me at sherry at newanthemchurch.com. Okay. She'll see that I get to that. Uh, But this is why I like preaching through books of the Bible, because left to my own devices, we would not probably cover this passage. You'll see what I mean. I'm going to read the whole thing, then we'll break it down. Okay, let's go. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay? You can see that we've got some things we need to get to the bottom of. Specifically, our culture would say there is no way a woman should be subject to a man. Listen to me. I agree. That's not what the text says. I don't agree women should be subject to men. This passage said a wife should be subject to her own husband. Not any man, her own husband. This passage is not talking uh, about submission even. This is a secondary issue. The, the primary issue here, the thrust of the passage, isn't about submission at all. It's an issue. Don't get me wrong, but it's a secondary one. The primary matter in question is that a woman should not put her hope in anything other than God. She should not pursue anything other than God. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands so that 
they're going to see your reverence and perhaps be one to the Lord because of it. In other words, there's an appeal here, ladies, to make sure you don't put your confidence in something other than God. And Peter is careful to point out a couple places that women have a tendency to do that, to put their hope in something that is not godly. The first one is external beauty. You saw it in the text. It says, uh, don't let your adorning be external. That is to say, don't be defined by outward beauty. This is an appeal to modesty. It is an appeal to the development of your mind and of your soul. He's not saying you can't braid your hair. He's not saying you can't be uh, diligent about what it is that you want to wear. He's not saying you can't wear makeup. You know, if the house needs painting, come on, somebody, you paint that mug up. Right? I mean, some houses need more coat than one. You do what you've got to do to do whatever it is that you do. But uh, you're missing the point if you think this passage is about clothes or makeup or even submission. Nonetheless, this is an important issue to discuss because last year in this country, Americans spent $8.1 billion on makeup alone. I wish I could say that was only female spending, but that's not the world that we live in, so there's that. But uh, the women surveyed uh, within all of this, 70% of them use makeup. When it comes to clothes, the average female spends $500 a month on her outfits. Found this interesting. The average female in America owns three swimsuits. Average swimsuit costs $50, which would tell me that most women are not buying swimsuits for swimming. Uh, They're buying them for external adorning. Google how many shoes a woman owns. Uh, Turns out that was less than the number I own, so we skip that. (laughs) Pastor didn't even talk about shoes, Pastor, you know, so I was like, yeah. Useless information, but let me show you one more passage that talks about what a woman should be going after. Proverbs 31, you've likely heard it. We'll pick it up in 25. A wife of noble character is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs at the time to come. She's happy. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. She's a hard worker. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Ladies, I want you to pay special attention to that last line, because it's not talking about a married woman, a single woman, or a divorced woman. It's talking about all women that you're to be praised when uh, you fear the Lord. Now, only you can answer that in your own heart if that's you. And it's also worth pointing out that it's, this is a woman writing to her son. King Lemuel's mother is, is telling him what type of woman that he should be going after as a king. And he says, uh, she says to him, you need to find a woman when she opens up her mouth, wisdom falls out. When she speaks, she speaks intelligently. She doesn't say, OMG, really? So jelly. Like, no, she, she speaks intelligently. She, she knows what it is she's talking about. She's smart. 
We all know intelligence doesn't just happen haphazardly. There's intentionality behind it. This woman is well-read. She's developing her mind, developing her soul. The problem with that is have you ever looked at the cover of a magazine, a women's magazine, at the grocery store when you're in line to check out? The things that they advertise are just appalling. My lion? I talk about, when's the last time you saw a headline that said how to be a virtuous woman? or working on wisdom. You'll never read an article like that. It's all about how to have a sexy weekend, how to lose weight, how to read your horoscope, something like that. They always cater to the external. Rarely, if ever, will they cater to the internal. But the woman that God calls you to be is a woman who has spent time intentionally cultivating her mind and cultivating her soul. And in response to that, people will sing your praises, which is sadly what most people are looking for in their external adorning, for someone to praise them, for someone to notice them. And the passage says, beauty is vain. Charm is deceitful. It's a trap. No, you need to go after depth. Go after character. Go after wisdom. That's what you're taking with you to heaven, ladies. Your character. That's what you're supposed to be uh, spending time on cultivating while you're on this planet. Do not let your value get caught up in physical, fleeting beauty. And God help us men if that's the only thing we ever talk about and ever notice. Not her wisdom. Something about her body. The other thing I want you to notice within this Proverbs passage about how self-assured this woman is because she spent time working on her soul and investing in her mind. Because when she opens her mouth, not only does wisdom fall out, but also kindness. That means she feels no need with her tongue to tear down other women she views as a threat to her. All the cattiness that just runs rampant in every school that I've ever been in And every basketball team that I've ever coached, it just disappears because that kind of woman doesn't need to prove she's better than anybody else. And she's not threatened by other people's talents or beauties because she's cultivated her own soul. She believes in who God made her to be, not just her external beauty. So temptation one, Peter says, that women are are prone to is to trust in external beauty. Temptation two is that you'll develop your hope to try and put your hope in a man. Now, this also works one of two ways because some people argue you don't need a man. You're strong. You're independent. You can be the leader of your own home. Do anything you want. How often do you hear that in today's world? We're actually going to talk about that here in a few weeks. So, Selah on that for a little while. But the opposing view that praise the Lord is starting to lose some traction is this Jerry Maguire idea that you complete me. That there is just some man out there who is going to be your yin to your yang. Uh, You need to hear me say that this idea of both ideas of feminine independence and uh, Prince Charming completeness, both are steaming piles of garbage. The idea that a woman can do anything a man can do is absurd and unbiblical. Our bodies are different, and that is okay. It was designed that way. 
Did you know that the Hebrew words in Genesis, when God is talking about creation, when he's referencing the creation of a man, it's a different word than when he's referencing the creation of a woman. The Hebrew word, when God is creating man, it's a rough shot word. It's a farming type of term. It's, it's about getting down into the dirt and wrestling it into something. When he talks about creating a woman, it's actually talking about poetry and handcrafting something, breathing life into a woman. You can think about the difference kind of like thinking about a Jeep and a Lamborghini. Men are like a Jeep. You want them to get out there and get dirty and you hit a few potholes, take it off road, right? Do, you know, get out there into the wilderness and bang it up a little bit. I kind of like it that way. Nobody wants to get into a Jeep and have it smell like body lotion from Bath and Body Works. Uh, but a, a, a Lamborghini, uh, a Lamborghini is a little bit different and women are a little bit like a Lamborghini. You don't want to take it off road. It is well-crafted. It has got nice lines. You just want to look at it. That's the reality between men and women. I'll give you maybe a more helpful example. If a, if a girl wears skin-tight yoga pants, that's a problem for most guys. If I wore skin-tight yoga pants, most girls would either burst out laughing or throw up. Okay? <laughs> Wearing yoga pants for uh, a guy and a girl are, are bad for two different reasons. For uh, girls, is bad because it's tempting. For guys, is bad because it's nauseating. Okay? Uh, men and women are different, and that is good. Uh, I like the way Thomas Schreiner put it in his uh, uh, Bible commentary on First Peter. He writes, The differences in role or function... Do not cancel out equality. Men and women are equally made in God's image. They have equal access to salvation and share the same destiny. Similarly, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is equal to the Father in essence, but He submits to the Father, revealing that He has a different role. The submission of wives, therefore, does not imply their inferiority. A different function does not suggest they are lesser beings. Amen. They're not. Back to the idea that there's a soulmate out there who will complete you. Listen to me. This is a myth and a legend that has had woman after woman throughout history on the search for a unicorn. That doesn't exist. Your soulmate is Jesus. And this idiot ideology that there is one person out there for you Look, if one person married the wrong person, that kind of screw it up for everybody else, right? Because if Laura is not my girl and I married her anyhow, that means I married somebody else's perfect one, which means they're forced to marry somebody else's perfect one, which means they're forced to marry somebody else's perfect one. And if some moron 700 years ago happened to do that, then it jacked it up for everybody else. Just do the math. And now nobody has any hope and we're all in trouble because we're all marrying the wrong one. This is a ridiculous, foolish idea. I'm just a man and Laura is just a girl. And Laura cannot complete me, cannot fulfill me, cannot make sense of my world. And to expect her to is to put a pressure on her that, on her that she will not be able to carry. And because society has put those pressures on us and that you should find that perfect one, it creates in us an anger towards our spouse for not doing what they were never designed to do to begin with. 
Furthermore, if there was a perfect one for you, then you would know that you would never have any problems in marriage because they're perfect for you. And if you've been married longer than 45 minutes, you know that ain't true. There's problems that arise all the time. Yet, this mistaken notion of soulmates has so infiltrated our world that now the divorce rate in this country is hovering around 52%. Which means if you go to a wedding, you're more likely to see them get divorced than they are to stay married. And you say, well, that's why we're getting divorced, because we're not compatible. They're not my soulmate. Well, with every subsequent marriage that you have, your chances of divorce skyrockets every marriage after your first one. Because neither one of you are actually committed. So incorrect on that. And ladies, since you're more prone to buying into this lie that Peter's trying to help you understand that when you say, this man will complete me, this man will make sense of my world, this man will make me know who I am, this man will heal my wounds, you're putting a weight on him that he will not be able to sustain. And it will only be a matter of time before he develops hobbies to get out from the crushing weight of that expectation. And men, before I really start getting into berating you, let me just ask you this question. Are your hobbies uh, moving you towards something? Or are you using hobbies to run away from something? You think about that while I finish up with the ladies. Ladies, put your hope in God, not men. We're sinners, which means sometimes on accident, or God help us, sometimes on purpose, we're going to fail you and wound you. Please don't ask us to be more than we were designed to be. Jesus is the only one who can show you who you are and what you were designed to be. So in a way, you are looking for a man. It's just that, happens, that man happens to be God, and you can't marry him. So hashtag, you're going to settle. Okay, so just get that. <laughs> Just know that on the front end that whoever you get, they're going to be worse, okay? Now, only from there, from this knowledge that where your, your hope should lie in God, not in external adorning, not in a man, only from there does Peter go on to say, be subject to the husband that you have. And he doesn't leave this uh, idea of submission loose in the wind for some backwoods fundamentalist to come along and say women are second-class citizens, No, he clearly defines what submission looks like and what it means for a wife to be submissive to her husband, not to men, to her husband. Here's how I want you to jot it down. Submission is not about superiority. It's about sacrifice. Submission is not about superiority. It is about sacrifice. And listen to me, sacrifice works both ways. Okay, marriage is a submission competition. It is a sacrifice contest. You're trying to outdo one another in showing honor. But look at the text again. Notice what it says specifically. Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husband. Alarm bells. What does in the same way even mean? Well, keep in mind, Peter just got done talking to the men about what it means to submit to government and to submit to authority and to submit to your employer and your place of employment and talking about how Jesus came uh, to earth and he submitted to God and uh, came to die for my sins and your sins. And he wasn't super pumped about that submission idea, kind of like how you might not be super pumped about submission, but it's not about superiority. It is about sacrifice. And the way Peter talks about sacrifice for the women specifically, he says, without words, in your behavior, it's going to be sacrificial 
and you're going to have this gentle and quiet spirit, and in turn, that's going to lead your husband closer to God. So what does that even look like practically? It means in a woman's heart and in a woman's mind, she is aware of her husband's strengths. And she praises him and encourages him for what he does well. She's an expert in his strengths. And she finds creative ways to communicate what her husband is good at. And it also means that in a woman's heart and in a woman's mind, she understands what her husband is weak at. And she encourages and speaks life to where he is weak. She does not spend time fantasizing about another man who isn't weak in the same areas as her husband. And in that safety net of trust, the scriptures teach that the husband feels safe and he'll open up and share. I hope you realize that most men from an early age are taught to shut it down. And where we don't feel safe and where we don't trust, we're just going to be quiet and stay in our lane and we'll put on this bravado of being the tough guy And the Bible teaches that when a man believes in someone, and specifically when he trusts his wife and believes in her heart and in her mind, then he's going to open up, and he's going to trust her, and he's going to share in life together. And this gentle and quiet spirit in verse 4 is not about just keeping your mouth shut and getting beat down when your husband's an idiot. No, it's learning how to engage him in such a way that he will respond That's what submission looks like. That's what sacrifice looks like. It's doing the hard work of trying to open up your husband. It doesn't look like nagging. It doesn't look like, did you hear what the pastor said today? It doesn't look like, why don't you ever talk to me? It looks like, how was your day? What did you do? More practically, my wife and I share a calendar. So she knows everywhere that I have, appointments that I have. So when I come home at night, she doesn't have to say, how was your day? Fine. What did you do? Nothing. Because that's what every guy is going to do. She can say, oh, I saw you had a a lunch appointment with so-and-so. How was it? What did you talk about? How was the salsa? Amazing. As always. Can you make some guacamole? Absolutely. You know, that's what submission and sacrifice looks like. Ladies, in the end, the time that you have on this earth, it is about cultivating your internal beauty. It is about feeding your soul. It's about developing your mind. Don't settle for the world's definition of pretty pursue God's definition of pretty. Pursue God's definition of cultivating your life so that my two daughters have somebody to look up to. Come on, somebody. That's good. Now, let me yell at the men for a little bit. Your turn. In my experience, in my short time here on this planet, I have encountered a vast number of men who are weak, narcissistic cowards. God help me, in my life, I was one for a long time and still struggle with it. Men, do you not realize how necessary you are to the advancement of the gospel and the help in this country that we so desperately need? I'll give you some examples and some numbers. The U.S. Department of Justice put this out about fatherless homes. 
fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides. 90% of all homeless and runaway teens. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders. 71% of all high school dropouts. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers. 75% of convicted rapists. Praise God for the single mothers out there who are struggling it to do it well. But men, it's time for you to step up, get off the couch, and do something to curb these absurd, ridiculous numbers. And you take the little boys out who don't have a dad at home so these things don't continue and happen in our church. You are going to stem the tidal wave of violence and rage in this country by how you live your lives. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, dude, I'm here. What are you so mad about? Yeah, you're here. Where are your friends? Because there are some empty chairs here that they could sit in. And God help us if we get to heaven and we find one of our buddies up there and he's like, dude, why didn't, you, why didn't you tell me about this place? And like some kind of coward, you're like, it was going to be awkward. I didn't know how to engage the conversation. Or Lord, help us even worse. You get up there and you meet one of your children and they're like, dude, why didn't you tell me about this? Where were you when I needed you? And you're like, I I didn't know how. I didn't have the words. No, you're going to do something and you're going to make a difference. Stop wasting your time on pointless crap. Nobody's going to care 50 years from now who won the stupid game today. You know what they are going to care about? How you led your home how you led your friends, how you worked hard, how you made a difference, how you left a lasting legacy. You say, no, I'm, I'm trying that. It's not working. I can tell you why it's not working. First Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It ain't working because you're not taking care of the women God has put in your life and he ain't listening to your prayers. So your prayers won't be hindered. God is actively working against you. That's a scary thought when you really start to consider it. That you don't want your prayers to be hindered. So we've got to do better. We have to be better. So let's talk about how we can do that. Let's break it down. He says, first wise, likewise, husbands. So right out of the gates, we know this is already talking about submission because Peter just got done talking to the wives about it. And he says, likewise, husbands. And we already know submission isn't about superiority. It's about sacrifice. And so you're going to have to sacrifice your life in such a way that you live with your wife in an understanding way. Word understanding is the same Greek word as to be considerate. Your translation might even say that. Husbands, live with your wives in a way that is considerate. If I could make it simple, get up. Get off the couch. You have just as many biblical responsibilities in your home as your wife does. 
So what ends up happening in Christian circles in particular is we divide our lives into, oh, this is what I do as a man, and this is what she's going to do as the woman. And then we like to pretend that her role, on top of all the other things that she's supposed to be doing within the home, is to support us. Because submission. But we don't ever like to turn that street around and point it back to the wife, where our job is also to support her and her calling at home. So now the wife is supposed to cook dinner, and she's supposed to watch the kids all day long. And when the husband gets home from work, uh, he's supposed to sit down and watch Sports Center over and over again while his poor wife is trying to finish up the supper and load the dishwasher and get everything clean and make sure the kids' hands are washed and get them ready to eat and then bathe them and shower them. And finally at 10.15, after she's got the uh, time to get everybody down, she's got three seconds to breathe. And then the guy's like, you want to make out or what? And then that's the expectation. Wrong. If she cooks, you come home and you help her set the table or you load the dishwasher or you take the responsibility to get the kids' hands washed and ready for supper. And men, you put the kids to bed at night. Let your wife breathe. Listen to me. She has a soul. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She's not your servant. She's not your sex toy. She has a soul, just like every other woman that God has put in your life has a soul. And we're not looking at them as some sort of piece of meat to get after. No, 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 we're going to help them cultivate their life. Do you know what a full day around children will do to you mentally? It's happened to me a couple times. It's not amazing. And if nothing else, for your own safety, you should want to help your wife and let her breathe so she doesn't smother you in your sleep (laughs) just from rage of it all. Make no mistake, when you get home, your job is just beginning. You're on second shift now, buddy. And your job is to get the kids ready for bed and you're going to be the one that showers them off and you're going to be the one to put them in their pajamas and nobody cares what the pajamas look like. Are you kidding me? Who cares if them? Lenny slept in a swimsuit before, all right? So, I mean, I wish I was kidding about that, but we just do what we got to do, you know? And and you're going to be the one who gets there and you're going to be the one who reads the Bible to them, the Jesus Storybook Bible that we gave you for free, So you don't have any excuses and you're going to be the one who says prayers with them at night and you're going to pray that God makes them a strong, courageous Christian man or woman that loves them and they love him their whole lives and you're going to kiss them on their forehead and you're going to tell them good night and on Saturday afternoon when your wife comes home with the groceries, you're going to push pause on the TV, you self-exalting moron, and go out there and help her with the groceries? Do you understand what generations before us had to do? They had to miss the game. God in his wisdom has given us the DVR and the pause button so that we can help. Like, get out there and go do something. She's not your slave. And you're going to show her honor by investigating and investing in her soul. 
And when you do that, you're going to find that there are days when she's so stressed out, she just needs to get out of the house. And you're going to find a babysitter, and you're going to say, let's just go get some ice cream, babe. Or you're going to be the one that just comes home and brings small cakes, because God knows everybody loves a good cupcake, and just help her out. And, and you're going to find that she's done and needs adult conversation, and you're going to open your mouth. Because if you don't, somebody else will. Look no further than the Garden of Eden when the devil tempted Eve and her moronic idiot husband stood by and said nothing and didn't snatch the snake out of the tree. Say, I'm the only one that gets to talk to my wife like this. You're going to be the one to invest in her soul. And there's nothing biblical that says she's the one that has to vacuum the house and she's the one that has to do the laundry and on and on I could go. You be considerate. You live with your wife in a way that considers her soul and considers her mind and considers her emotions as the weaker vessel. Pause, ladies. Don't get mad. Just the mailman didn't write the mail, okay? It says weaker vessel. You need to understand that that is actually talking about porcelain. That's what that Greek word means, the weaker vessel. So men, we're going to treat women like we treat porcelain. And we're going to put them up in the case and we're going to occasionally dust it off and we're going to make sure they're well taken care of. And anytime we come into the room, we're going to stare at our porcelain and take care of it. And it's like I like to tell Laura, girl, hate to see you go, but love to watch you leave. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey. Uh, and we're, we're going to treat the women that God has put in our life well, like we would treat fragile pieces of porcelain. And we're going to treat all women with honor and respect because God has not just called you, God has also called her. And we are co-heirs with Jesus. A woman is not a second-class citizen. We are equal in value, worth, and dignity. Furthermore, with regards to the women, voluntary submission is in view here. Husbands, it is not your job and it is not your responsibility to ensure that your wives submit to you. Just like ladies, it is not your job to convince your husband to stop being such a passive ninny. I'm doing a good enough job for both of you, okay? So you don't have to worry about all that. I'll take care of it. All that being said, if marriage is a submission competition... And if submission is not about superiority, but about sacrifice, and uh, if men and women are equal in this attitude of submission and sacrifice, it would imply that you can have an equal with a leader. And I believe that you can. Now, there's business theories out there that will tell you, you can't have two leaders. Somebody's got to have the buck stops here. Well, so men, you should never lead independent of your wife. You weren't given this role because you make better decisions. For many of you, you do not make better decisions. And your wife was given to you as a gift by God to help keep you from your own stupidity. And so if you don't consult with your wife, you are a fool. Now, wives, what the Lord is saying to you that you need to uh, do is aid your husband and support him and hold him up and help him become the man that God wants him to be. That does uh, not mean you're less than the men. Because before God, we're all equal. We're told in Galatians 3.28, there's no neither slave nor Jew, uh, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. 
So although there is no difference between men and women in the nature of their salvation or their standing with God, we are all co-heirs. God has set up a structure of authority within the marriage that he designed. And Paul clarifies it in 1 Corinthians 11.3 when he says, I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman, he's talking about marriage. The head of the wife is the man and the head of all, uh, the head of Christ is God. You can try and do some theological gymnastics around there and pretend like Paul meant something other than what was written, but it seems pretty clear to me that God has designed an order and a structure to things. He starts out by saying that there's a Trinitarian uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, co-eternal. One is not better than the other. One is not more powerful than another. God is a triune being, yet distinct in three personalities. God the Father is the head of Christ in essence and in function. When Jesus walked this earth, he was a man, but also God, although not quite uh, equal in terms of submission or in terms of essence and nature. Even though he said, God and the Father and I, we're one. I'm, I'm, I'm equal to him but I'm going to submit to him and to the will of the Father. Jesus laid aside the privileges of his deity. He walked this earth as a man. He hungered, he thirsted like any man or woman would. He humbled himself in that regard. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? When he was praying to God, the Father let this cup pass for me as he grappled with the crucifixion, but not my will be done, but yours be done. And he said later, back after he had risen from the dead, I'm going to send you a helper, meaning the Holy Spirit was submitted to Jesus Christ and what he was going to accomplish. And so this is the picture that we get of the Trinity, submissive in nature. And he lays the same thing out for us as men and women and what we're doing in this life specifically in regards to the marriage relationship. So let me get real simple about how this looks practically as we close. Jot this down. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Sacrifice, which we're all called to do, is giving up something you love for something you love anymore. And I realize that stands in stark contrast in the face of everything you've been taught. It's not about sacrifice. Don't submit your will to anybody. Sacrifice is weak. But when Christian people try to imitate the world and get their standards from Hollywood instead of heaven, then there's always going to be trouble in the home. Perhaps you've experienced that. It's time to make a change. So really what's at stake for you today, what God promises to those who sacrifice for each other is a new life. That, that's what's at stake. For some of you, it might be a new spouse, not a change in person, but a change in their spirit. And now you're married to somebody new. You have a new marriage. Like You can have that, but it's going to require both of you in submission and sacrifice. For others of you, God has, for whatever reason, allowed you to be single. And what's at stake for you today is character building. It's about understanding sacrifice and submission and you developing yourself before the Lord so that when God does bring you a spouse, the whole thing doesn't just blow up because when you put two sinners in the same household, it's going to be difficult. And all the married people said, 
Amen. And you got to learn some of this stuff before you get married. And still for others of you today, it's, it's about figuring out how to have a more enjoyable life. Because what God's called all of us to is submission and sacrifice. Today was about a reminder to get your eyes off of you. You're not the point. Jesus is. And when you're more focused on Jesus and submitting to him, then you will make a difference. Sacrifice is about giving up something you love for someone you love even more. God, help us in this journey. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you for this sacrifice of your son, Jesus, and for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have sent to us. God, I'm asking you now to do what only you can do and just really speak to our hearts, speak to our souls and our minds and and, and help us discern what it is that you brought us to church today for. Perhaps it's some marriage things. Perhaps it's some other relationship things. Perhaps it's just about you getting right. Learning where to sacrifice. Learning where to submit. Perhaps God brought you here just to ask you to say sorry. To remind you of some places maybe you have done this poorly. And to say, I'm going to be better today. Whatever that is, I just ask you not to shut that voice out right now. Just surrender to that. For some of you, God might be asking you just to submit your life to him for the first time. You finally come to the realization that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And you're here today just to surrender your own heart to him. Just in your heart, say, God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he died for me and that I'm separate from you because of sin. But because Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated sin. He was made new and I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. God, help each one of us to walk out of this place with the knowledge that we can make a difference. Give us an opportunity to do that today. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.